The In Our Eyes podcast acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which this podcast is recorded, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present, and future. Welcome to the In Our Eyes podcast, a podcast created by the Deakin Optometry alumni team for our fellow alumni and students. In each episode, we will be talking to a different individual about their optometry smarts, career and experiences, hence the title In Our Eyes. If there are any topics you'd like to hear us cover or have any questions, please head on over to our Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn and send us your thoughts. Also, as a great bonus, all of these episodes can be logged as CPD. For a reminder on how to manually enter this into your learning plan, you can find an explainer on our Instagram stories. This is a series we call Pathways in Optometry, where we talk to different alumni about their experiences in business, research, and more. Now, let's kick off. Welcome to our podcast. Today I have the privilege of introducing you to Matthew Gregory. Matt grew up in Port Macquarie before moving to Geelong to study optometry. He graduated from Deakin in 2019 and started his career in the Northern Territory and soon found his passion for outreach community work. In collaboration with Deadly Vision, he continues to service the Barclay and Top Head West regions of the Northern Territory, focusing on providing primary eye care to remote communities. Matt also holds positions in Metro Brisbane and the Southern Queensland Correctional Centre when he's not flying to the NT. Notably, he's part of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Eye Health Advisory Group who are committed to supporting sustainable access to primary eye care for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Hi Matt, thanks so much for coming on board. I'm really excited to chat to you tonight. How are you? I'm good, thanks Nick, and thanks for having me on tonight. No worries. Um, look, I know at the moment you do a bit of work uh, in Brisbane and you're doing a little bit of work up in Northern Territory as well. Before we get into the current career, if you could tell us about kind of where you started and how you got here. Yeah, for sure. So grew up in Port Macquarie, New South Wales, and then I hiked it over to Victoria and Geelong to do the archery course. After graduating in mid-2019, I was headed up into Darwin, got a job there. I did three months of placement, so... I had enough time to really dust out the area, make sure I liked it, and it really captured my attention. So I went and uh, got a job at Optical Superstore up in Darwin. I went between two stores, between Katarina and Palmerston. Um, and then it was through meeting my boss there. He had a few contracts for the community work up there, and that's how I kind of got led into that passion in it, that area. That's awesome, Matt. Can you tell us a bit more about how you landed the role doing the outreach work? Yeah, so when I interviewed with the Optical Superstore, the boss there was really good. He kind of laid out everything and he mentioned that he had those contracts, which kind of piqued my interest. Didn't get a huge much information about it. I wanted to get that job anyways. And then my boss, he he does a lot of that and he was doing even more back then. So he would be like constantly traveling and over time I just asked questions and showed a bit more interest and once once he knew I was keen, you know, I took her a bit of time just to stay in Darwin and build up my own skills and my confidence being a first-time optometrist. And then after a while, once I kind of felt like, you know, I was ready to do something new and explore that passion, I, uh, I put my hand up 
and he was more than happy to give me a go and you know also take the burden off him as well which means he could be at home with his family so it was a win so when you put your hand up to do that first shift what was it like was it a one-day shift did you go out for a weekend did you go out for a few days been a while so i probably don't remember my exact shift but remember when i first started i tried to do like just a couple of day trips i'm pretty sure my first one was at a town called bachelor in the northern territory which is only about an hour away from darwin so it was really really quite simple to get to you know a bit of an early ride but apart from that not too bad and then yeah just like more like that rural remote clinic and then shortly after that it was to more even remote ones to more indigenous communities and again tried to keep it just with day trips because more efficient because they're so far and it's hard to get to by a car they were more like charter flights then after a while i think towards like after about a month of doing like a couple of day trips and i did like a a week away to like a, a slightly bigger one that was much further and that was like a, a couple of nights away from home which is a bit weird to get used to but it was a really good experience and yeah that's when i kind of knew i i could do this for a while so i guess comparing these day trips to your routine everyday practice that you were doing in darwin what are those key differences you know you mentioned snowly start so i assume you have to pack the car full of equipment and the drive down so what does that you know if you're doing a day trip to bachelor what does that look like from the morning early rise and then i usually uh, go pick up the dispenser who comes with me um and then you know we pick him up we make sure we both got all of our equipment pack the car drive over and then you know we aim to get there about half an hour early and that way we can just go to like the general store pick up a quick bite to eat just a few of us and then we head into the clinic and you know being like in these remote areas it's better to kind of build up that rapport bit of connection with the community so we get there a bit earlier introduce ourselves if there's a morning meeting with the nurses we try to at least pop in and just mention who we are what we're there to do times we'll be working at the clinic you know just to kind of get that friendly appearance and then also just to like learn how their clinic works and find the room set up. Takes a bit longer to set up. You gotta learn where everything is and drag the slip lamp over and um, start seeing patients from there on out. And then when it's seeing patients for the rest of that day, is it, you know, quite similar to if you're working in your routine clinic? Are you doing the same testing? Are you doing anything different? It's pretty different in the fact that most places don't do appointments. Bachelor does do appointments. I think it's one of the last ones that do. Whereas most of them, it's just walk-ins. And, you know, if the clinic has like a driver, then we usually like print off a patient list and we give it to the driver and the driver will head out around the community and pick up people who need that transporter. That's probably one of the biggest barriers for people coming in and, you know, getting to the clinic and getting their eyes checked. So, yeah. Not many places have appointments, so that's a bit different. And therefore, you might find, like I find myself, potentially like not having a lot of action at some points. And then all of a sudden, multiple people will walk to the door. And then it could be quite busy because most people aren't really keen for an eye check at 8am. But come 10, 11, 12, people are a bit more up and out of. And again, it can get quite busy. When you first rock up to some of these clinics, is there literally an empty book? And you just have to tell the driver, hey, we're working here today. And then you just have to wait and see if he comes through the door. Yeah, like there's no like book that say it, it, you just walk in and just print off a patient list. And then you just hand it to the driver. I usually give one to the like a driver. I usually give one to the clinic manager. And if there's any other like nurses and doctors, good to give them as well. Because if they come across someone, they can just 
you know, mention, oh, the optometrist is in, would you like to get your eyes checked? Um, also, if there's doctors and nurses there, I just mentioned, you know, if there's any diabetic patients who want an eye check, let them know what year. Again, we're open to see anyone and everyone, which is good. But yeah, no notebook, no like rural computer system. There's like a like a computer system where like you put in all the patient details and you can do like a recall report and if we don't, you know who needs to be seen. But apart from that, yeah, there's no book. It's just let everyone know that you're here and you get a few people walk in the door. Like the clinics know we're coming in advance. So, you know, if we if it's like it's first of July and we say, Oh, we've got a clinic coming up on the first of August, you know, that gives the clinic that much time notice that we're coming. So then if people come in and say like, Oh, is the optometrist coming in? They know like, Oh yeah, they're down on this date. Word gets around the community. Everyone knows that that's when we're coming. So that kind of helps as well. So, which also then puts the, you know, the emphasis of being organized and proactive and, you know, with the front foot forward helps everyone out, makes our job easy because everything's planned and ready to go. And it also helps it down with the outcome in the communities of helping people come out and know that we're there consistently when they can get their eyes checked. And then when you're working out in these areas, how do you find the, I guess, clinical experience compared to working uh, back in, you know, metro areas? Are you, obviously, I assume, seeing a lot more disease, a lot more diabetes? Are you managing cases differently, like glaucoma or the macular disease? How does it work with referrals and other things like that? Yeah, sure. Like the, I really enjoy the clinical side. Yeah, it's the clinical kind of can be summarized that you see a lot of some things and basically nothing of anything. Um, for example, like there's a lot of diabetes. I think it's pretty known that diabetes in London indigenous population is at a much higher rate, and therefore lots of diabetic retinopathy, lots of diabetic eye checks, which is always like you know interest of mine, and like very bad cataracts as well. Don't see a lot of glaucoma. And macular degeneration, not only because like they're more age-related disease, and unfortunately, the indigenous population have a much lower life expectancy, so that kind of decreases that prevalence. Um, but then also with glaucoma specifically, there's actually not a huge trend in glaucoma indigenous patients. There seems to be a bit of a protective factor with that ethnicity of glaucoma. So don't see huge amounts of glaucoma, although it is, does definitely exist. Probably more um, incidences of Secondary glaucomas. I've seen a couple of uh, neovascularization glaucoma and uh, quite a bit of traumatic glaucoma as well. So there's also like those kind of left field things that are quite interesting. Definitely like a lot of um, like cataracts as well. You know, usually quite advanced and the barriers for getting cataract patients to the hospital is quite significant. Geography being one of the biggest ones, it's, you know, it can be quite difficult to get to the hospital. Especially the other barrier. If people have very bad cataracts, both eyes, and they're blind, not only is it hard, like they need someone else to go with them to the hospital, and therefore you got to make sure that they've got someone that is available and that they can feel safe with who can escort them to Darwin or Alice Springs. So I guess looking back, what were the biggest things, at least to you, that you thought were the biggest learning curves, the things you didn't realize, the things you wish you had known? Um, yeah, great question. Um, I think for me, like one of the most important things is always just like stepping back and just really putting yourself in like a you know different understanding and awareness that it's a very different 
you know, culture when you're given this uh, eye care and just to be always having respect and cultural safety at the forefront of your care. And that really is the most important. You know, there's a lot of mistrust, I think, in the Western white medical delivery between the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. And again, just acknowledging that and therefore just really keeping at the forefront of the cares. For example, you know, if someone declines like a pressure check, I've learned that it's probably best just to let that go for now. And I'd rather, you know, make sure that the patient feels safe and respected and I can do everything that they're comfortable to let me do, you know, like the glasses and the health check and all that. And then building that trust and connection so that next year they feel safe to come back and continually get their eyes checked and in the long run provide that better overall care. And then as that trust and rapport develops, then most often than not, people feel more safe to do, you know, extra checks, come back from further, you know, eye drops as well. You know, eye drops for the first time for a diabetic can be a bit, first of all, can be a bit annoying. Also, be a bit intimidating. So, again, just really focusing on that, building the rapport, making sure that people feel safe, and therefore focus on that long term goal of having consistent eye checks and consistent priority of health. And probably another thing as well, like when you're like in the practice in the city, patients' expectations and desires are a little bit different. You know, efficiency and, and speed can be a bit more prioritized as people just want to get in, get their glasses, get a script use the health fund they got work starting later they've only got a like break to get the eye and uh, you know i think we see that you know optometry changing from more 30 minute to 20 minute appointments that efficiency testing is coming more of a more of a key target whereas at the communities it's more prioritized just take your time you know and have a like most of the most of the console is really just taking that time and, and effort into like explaining education and so you know if you know if someone also doesn't like speak english as their first language it's taking that time to tell them something or ask them something but then just letting them think about what i said translated into their own language think about what they want to say and then translate from their language to the to english and let them talk it out ask me questions make sure they understand you know what i'm telling them make sure they understand what I, you know, what we're doing. Also just being comfortable to sit in some silences. If you need, if people need a bit of extra time to grasp it, to think about it, make a decision to learn things. That's something, you know, I think is really important. And um, yeah, that'd be one of the key things. So Matt, earlier you talked about and highlight the importance of being culturally safe and culturally aware. Was this something that you already know going in? Did you do some sort of training? How did you become aware of this and ready for it? Ah, uh, yeah. So when I first started, I, I knew nothing. I didn't really know, you know, where to start. Um, so then my boss flipped me through some, some uh, reading. Some were just like, you know, very entry level information, you know, about like Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander customs. And then there was also like some clinical readings as well, like I mentioned before, you know, education about the low rates of glaucoma, some education about trachoma, diabetes, and cataracts. And then on top of that. Through the Northern Territory government, they had two modules um, about cultural awareness. So I did those two things. I just you know gained a bit more of a base. So that was like probably like when I first started. 
honestly, I think some of the best, the best education I've gotten is just through the Indigenous Aboriginal health workers and, and um, workforce that I've met and talked to. The dispenser I go out with, there's actually two dispensers I go out with. Both of them are Indigenous and, you know, gotten good friendships over there. Learn about them, especially um, the owner of the Deadly Vision Centre, who also does, like, a lot of the coordination and dispensing and makes the glasses. He comes out and uh, he's been a really, really great mentor for me. Helped me a lot to understand how to improve my practice when dealing in a culturally safe and responsive way. He's been like a really great mentor. And then just recently, Optometry Australia actually had level one and two training provided free. Um, so I've done that this year. And uh, that's also just given me, you know, a bit more education on the matter, which has really helped. So do you think it's really vital that people do this training before starting Indigenous work? Definitely. In fact, I'd probably say that, you know, it'd be really beneficial for all optometrists in Australia to have the training. At the end of the day, like Aboriginal Australia aren't the nation's people are part of our population. They go to doors, you know, in regional remote areas in every state. It's always good to make them feel safer. You know, the gap between Indigenous eye health is quite significant. We all want to come together and reduce that as much as possible. But specifically, you know, when going to, to areas with a no higher population of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, optometrists having that education and that awareness, you know, and that understanding can just really greatly improve the the patient care and um, overall just make a big impact. So Matt, I understand you're living in Brisbane now. So I guess living in Brisbane and then looking back on your time in Darwin, how do those two compare? Yeah, because um, I moved to Brisbane to, for a few personal reasons, but in terms of the work, it was the best work-life balance I've ever had. And I found there was a lot of positives working in a regional area. The clinical experience is great. I think the patient care is great. I think uh, patient demographics are really close-knit, community-orientated, really, really good vibes. And then as well, the lifestyle, you know, living in a regional country area is fantastic. I really, really like my time working in Darwin. Like it so much is why I keep going back, you know, to keep keep that kind of going because it's it's a really great experience and I really encourage optometrists, especially you know, new optometrists to head out to the regional areas, gain that experience, gain that different perspectives. Uh, and I think you can just make your you know a better clinician, a better individual overall. So what can we do as just everyday optometrists to help First Nations eye health? Yeah, so like I think we all know the like optometrists usually we help in the clinical way of you know testing eyes making diagnosis treating you know conditions and diseases giving glasses um, but a, a different way that optometrists can help on more as a on more of a societal level is to be aware and also supportive of these two really important events coming up which is the Uluru statement of the heart and also the voice referendum Voice referendum, particularly, um, going to be held around October to December uh, this year. So it gives people, optometrists, like a lot of time to do some research, look more into it, ask questions, get advice, and then, you know, at the end of it, show the support by voting yes. As these two things, you know, the whole basis of it is, is that it's listening to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, you know, and their issues they have with health and the system. And by listening, you know, we can overall make better choices to help them 
and help the issues and close the gap of Indigenous high health. And of course, in this context, like health and rural. But supporting those two movements are really important. And if optometrists can do that, it shows on an individual and also as like an industry as a whole, a unified front. Yeah, probably put a lot of positive impact into it. So you've obviously been doing this a bit of time now. For people listening to this podcast, what do you want to be some take-home points? I think it's important to remember that most First Nations people actually live in metropolitan areas and large regional towns and centres. So never think like, oh, well, if I'm not working out remote or very regional, you know, that it, it, you, know, you won't come across Indigenous patients. Always just be aware of it and be, you know, welcoming and accepting and practice culturally safe techniques to just reduce the apprehension that most First Nations people feel of entering like regular shopping centres. Overall, it's important that optometrists just realise that we all have the opportunity to help close the gap with Indigenous eye health, whether that be through giving direct clinical care in a culturally safe way, and then also on that more macro level, supporting you know, these large movements like the voice referendum, like the rural statement, to, to listen and give the best care possible. Look, Matt, honestly, it's just been fantastic listening to you talk about your experiences and the work that you're doing and that you have done in the past. So I just can't thank you enough for, for sharing that with us. No worries, Nick. Again, thanks for having me on. It's been great to chat to you as well. Um, yeah, hopefully the listener can, you know, just see some more benefits of, you know, taking those regional positions and, um, yeah, getting a nice experience. And... No worries, Matt. Hopefully we'll talk to you in the future. Thank you. So that's the show for today, folks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In Our Eyes. We hope you enjoyed it. Also, a reminder that you can log this manually as CPD in your learning plan. For a refresher on how to do this, you can head over to our Instagram stories. Feel free to share this episode amongst your pals. Let us know your thoughts and reach out if you have any topics or questions for us. Or even if you have any guests you'd like us to have on. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is not an official Deakin University media production and is created by alumni. The views, comments and opinions expressed within this podcast are those held by individuals and are not associated or representative of Deakin University.